The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. When you do good, who does it make look good? Let me ask you again. When you do good, who does it make look good? So who gets the credit when you do the right thing? When you serve, when you give, when you love, when you say the right words the right way, when you, when you react the right way, who gets the credit? And who are you hoping to impress in doing the right and good things? Uh, for most of us, we serve others because it's self-serving. We, we do good because it makes us look good. And we hope that the right people notice us doing the right things, and then that gives us a little bump up, meaning if we're working hard at work and our boss notices, we might get a promotion or a raise, right? And so we live life a little bit with that kind of intention and motive. I'm not saying you and I always are doing good in order to get good, but there certainly is that factor in the back of our minds kind of hoping that even at the very least, it's a little bit of karma, right? Like if I put good in, I get, I get good out of the universe, you know? And, and especially uh, in this you know, culture we live in today, where we've got young people that just, they're, they're building their own brand. I mean, this is like the thing now, right? Like you got so many young people online, on social media that think they're building their own platform. They're building their own brand. And so every opportunity is a, is a photo opportunity, right? So they serve in order to create a photo op so they can post it online and then it builds or post it on you know, Instagram or something so it builds their influence. Uh, and if they're, if they're helping and serving, they're probably wearing a brand of clothing so they can say, look what I'm doing. And then they hashtag the brand of clothing and then they get money out of the deal, right? So you find that people are serving because it's self-serving and they're promoting because it's self-promoting. And every, it seems like any good that people are doing, it's for their own good. And I kind of, you know, I tend to like kind of just roll my eyes and be like, whatever, I'm not going to follow them. I'm not paying any attention. But, and we can laugh and maybe even mock that. But, you know, at least if it's your sports team, you don't feel bad, right? Y'all, maybe you're a football fan and uh, one of your, your team, one of the players makes an unbelievable play and they're like they you know spike the ball in the end zone they're running around their teammates are like crashing into them and then they get a penalty excessive celebration penalty and you're like who cares man that was worth 15 yards and you're like dude that was awesome playing you're running around your living room you're throwing chips in the air you're like it was so good you know none of you ever do that yeah is this like is that is that just because like y'all still waking up all right come on um Sometimes you're like, that was okay. That deserved the 15-yard penalty. But sometimes I think in life, we deserve an excessive celebration penalty because we take credit when we didn't really do all that much. And then we, we give blame when we probably deserve, we, we give away the blame when we probably deserve some of it, right? And, and, and so here's how it works. When, you, when something goes well, a success, a victory, we tend to tell the story in such a way as to really highlight what we did to make it a win. And then when things go wrong, we tell the story in such a way as to really help people understand how little we had in what went wrong. So we take credit and we give blame. And this really comes down to the why of our life. In essence, why are you here? Why do I even exist? What is the whole point? And what I'm going to share with you in the next few minutes is that who gets the credit 
who takes the blame really captures why we're alive. I've been walking through you through the Lord's Prayer in this sermon series, Is Anyone Out There? And the way this prayer lands is this. So let's just jump in and read it. Um, it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me just go back quickly. So he opens with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is already legislated or already happening in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, right? And I talked about how what you're asking for is, God, just meet my needs today. And anything above my daily bread was not given to me so I can have more daily bread, but so that I can share the more daily bread with others, right? Uh, then, Then Jesus continues in teaching us to pray. He says, and forgive us our debts, even as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so I've said that uh, we are forgiven to forgive. Forgiveness overflows. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then it lands with this statement, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you were to open your Bibles or um, open your phone and click on your version app, and depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, there are a lot of different versions, meaning, remember, the Bible is being translated from foreign languages, languages that we're not familiar with. The original uh, languages of the Bible were Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, so they spoke in Aramaic, and so Jesus is teaching probably in Aramaic, and so when it's getting translated, um, certain foreign words, they, they could translate a few different ways, and so that's why you might have a different versions. Interestingly, depending on your version, this line isn't even in the prayer. So you can be like, what? My whole life is a lie. Some of you grew up, uh, maybe you grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer, or you grew up in a tradition where they would include the Lord's Prayer as part of the um, service. And so for this not to be in your Bible, you're like, what happened? Did they just remove it? Like they didn't like it anymore? No, 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 that's not what's going on. Um, Here's what many scholars uh, would say and why some versions don't include this. Because when they, when they researched and they went back to the earliest manuscripts, so the Bible, is, you know, it was written and then many of the books were written, so 66 different books, and then it was copied. And, and we don't have the original writing. What we have is copies and then copies of copies and the copies of that. And so if they go back and they look at the original copies, this verse is missing from many of those earliest manuscripts. And so scholars have done research and they've looked at it and they're like, well, then why is it included today? And so there's kind of two different ways we could take this. That it was in the original, that Jesus, when he was teaching on the Lord's Prayer, he said, as he concluded the prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And then some people would say it, Jesus didn't include that, but then the early church, as they were saying the Lord's Prayer, they added this line on. It comes from an ancient Hebrew text in First Chronicles. And so depending on which way uh, the scholars see it, that they, they might leave it out or include it. And so I'm going to approach it this way. It doesn't really matter. It's true either way. And, and so uh, whether Jesus included it or the early church added it, I felt like it was an important one that you understand the context of that. So what does this mean? Why would Jesus include it, or why would the church have added it? Because this is a confession about why we exist. What they're saying is, God, at the end of this prayer, 
I want it to look at the end of my life, that I exist. Everything about my life is for your kingdom, for your power, for your glory forever. Amen. What's the application mean? What can I do with that? Well, here's the key. What we do after amen is for God's glory alone. In fact, can I encourage you maybe make a note of that? Maybe type that in or write that down depending on whether you open your Bible or turn on your Bible, would be kind of depending on how you take your notes. But can I encourage you to, to make a note of this? Because what we do after we say amen should be for God's glory alone. Meaning, after you finish saying the 17 seconds that it takes to recite the Lord's Prayer, the whole rest of your life should be for God's glory. But we don't live that way, do we? No, we, we pray and then we do it for our Glory. We, we want the attention. We, we serve because it's self-serving. We do good in order to look good. We like the credit. We want the credit. Even if you're not one of those people that likes, you know, the attention and, and you like everybody patting you on the back, maybe you're one of those people that gets bashful when your family is singing happy birthday, admit it. Even you like getting credit even when you don't deserve it. We like attaboys and we like people cheering us on. And that's, you know, sometimes it's perfectly good. I mean, we celebrate all of our dream teamers. We celebrate people doing right things and good things. But there's a bent in us to want attention when we don't deserve attention. And we serve because it's self-serving. And we, are, we become self-promoting. And, and why is that? Because we're instinctively hardwired to be selfish. That's right. Our bent is toward looking out for ourselves. And so we would pray it this way. It's for my kingdom, for in my power, for my glory. And this bent toward being selfish is what Jesus referred to as sin. Sin is a, a spiritual corruption. You can't just diagnose it. You can't x-ray it. You can't put somebody through a CAT scan and see sin. Because it's, it's, in, it's in that, I can't get the words out. The invisible part of who we are the eternal part of who we are in our soul part. There's this sin corruption that causes us to push away from God toward doing what we want. We, we ignore God's desires and we pursue our desires. We ignore God's ways and we run after our ways. We ignore serving God and we tend to serve ourselves, sin. And sin doesn't just hurt us or corrupt us. Sin wrecks our lives, leads to ruin, and leads to forever judgment. Yeah, that's right. Meaning when you die, you go on living forever, paying the judgment for a life lived of sin, being selfish, and taking all of the credit. But God... God was unwilling to allow you and I to live a life driven by sin, headed toward the consequence of sin and eternal judgment. So God stepped into time and space. The creator entered into his creation with a mission to rescue us from ourselves and our sin. So in rescuing us, he didn't just teach us how to pray. He came to help us live this prayer. And the only way we live this prayer is if we deal with the sin problem inside of us first. So Jesus really came to deal with the sin problem. Well, how did he deal with the sin problem? Jesus' mission was to die. To die because we deserve 
to die. So Jesus took, when he went to the cross, he took our eternal judgment on himself. He took our shame, our sin, our death, and he put it on himself. So when he died, he died once for all. Let me, let me make sure you don't miss that. That's right. Jesus died on your behalf and your behalf. And for those of you that think you're disqualified, he died for you too. And he took on your shame and your guilt and your sin consequence, eternal judgment, so that in his death, he paid it all. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of sin and given new life. How do you receive new life? Well, it's faith in Jesus, not just that he died, but that he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he brought victory over death. So we don't have to fear death anymore. He brought victory over sin. When I believe in Jesus by faith, the grip of sin on my life is loosened. I am no longer choked by selfishness. I'm no longer manipulated by being self-serving. My life is not driven by an instinct toward doing what I want, toward serving myself or being self-promoting or selfishness dragging me to my own ruin. I'm given new life so that my life isn't headed toward eternal judgment. When God's spirit enters into my spirit through faith in Jesus, he transforms me so that I begin to live the prayers that I pray. So when I pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. On my own, I, I don't give God credit. I don't, I don't respect God. I only look out for myself. But when I, when I am transformed through faith in Jesus Christ, I begin to live out the prayers that I pray. And so when, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, when the early church is praying and they say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Men, what they're saying is, God, my whole life is centered on you. And my whole life is made possible through you. And my whole life exists to give you praise. And so, in fact, at the end of time, the author John is writing, and he wrote in the book of Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible. And he says, this is what heaven is going to sound like. People are going to be celebrating and singing, and they're going to say, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, to Jesus, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the living creature said, amen, let it be done. And the elders fell down and worshiped. He said, when you, when you get to heaven, this is what you're going to see. Living creatures those that are in heaven worshiping God and say, God, you deserve uh, all the glory and all the praise and you have all the power and it's for your kingdom forever. And then everyone's gonna begin to shout, amen, amen, let it be done, let it be done forever and ever and ever. W what's the point? How do we apply this to our life? Well, let me, let me give you a key application that we could take away from the ending of this prayer. It's simply this, live for God alone. In essence, who are you living for? Who do you go to work for? When you, when you work out, when you diet, when, you, when you're trying to do the right thing, who are you living for? The, the challenge of this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The challenge is live for God alone. God, it's all for you. What am I building? What are you building? And who are you building it for? When you're, when you're trying to get the promotion, when, when, you're, when you're negotiating trying to buy a new car, who, what, are you, what are you trying to do it for? 
When you're looking at that new house and you, you want to get a new house or you're looking at a new, a new wardrobe and you're like, oh man, I look so good in that. For what? There's nothing wrong with those things unless you're doing it for the wrong reason. And so this prayer is a check in your heart to make sure that it's for the right reason. What's the right reason? I'm building it for God. It's for yours is the kingdom. God, it's all about wherever you are king. Are you the king of my home? Are you the king of this dating relationship? Are you the king of my marriage? Are you the king of my commute? Are you the king of my finances and my spending and my savings and my retirement account? Are you the king of how I think and how I feel? Am I allowing God to be the king? Wherever God is king is his kingdom. Am I building God's kingdom? And is my life, is my giving, is my spending about promoting God's kingdom? Meaning, do I want others to see that God is king in my life? You're only going to build in one of two ways. You're going to build for yourself, and it will only last as long as you can hold it together, or you will build for God's kingdom. But you can't build for both. So when we pray, yours is the kingdom. It's a confession. God, everything about my life is to build your kingdom. I want to build the places in my life and through my life where you rule as king. Now, how do you build God's kingdom? Well, it has to be through God's strength. You get tired because you're busy and you're worn out. Often because we're trying to do it in our own strength, our own power. It gets even harder if you're trying to build God's kingdom through your strength. Because what you quickly discover is, if I use my strength, I can only build things that will last as long as I can hold it together. Some of you, you're trying to hold together your finances, you're trying to hold together your career, trying to hold together your family, and you're getting worn out because you're doing it in your own power. But when you say, for yours is the kingdom and yours is the power, what you're saying is, God, I'm gonna build your kingdom through your strength. It's not my power, it's your power. God, I'm yielding to your strength. God, help me. I can't do this on my own. I want to show your love to my spouse, or I want to show your love in my home, or I, I want to work diligently in the workplace, but God, I can't do that on my own. It's your power in me. And when you yield to God's power, you get God-sized results, right? Whatever fills spills. And so if I'm going to forgive others, I can't forgive in my own strength. I have to forgive because I've been forgiven. When I'm forgiven, it spills out into forgiveness. When I'm loved by God, it spills out in love. When I am, um, when I receive the generosity of God, it spills out in generosity. So really what it comes down to is God's power fills and then spills. All right, and then the, the third word that he uses is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Okay, this idea of glory. You pay attention to the news at all. If you've paid attention to any celebrities, you'll notice this truth. Most people can't handle fame and success. In fact, I would go so far as to say, fame and success have destroyed more people than a lack of fame or success have hurt anyone. In fact, God may be sparing you from yourself by not giving you the fame and the success that you're hoping for because you can't handle it. 
Here's the deal. Humans were not designed to handle glory. We weren't made to be able to get that kind of attention and that kind of praise and that kind of glory. In fact, glory is life-changing. If you hold it, it's toxic. If you give it, it's transformational. Let me say it again. Glory is life-changing. If you hoard it, it's toxic. If you give it, it's transformational. And the only one that can handle, the only one that deserves glory is God. He's the only one that can receive glory and it not corrupt him. Every one of us who are corrupted by sin, when we receive praise, when we receive glory, it ruins us. But God, you can give him all the glory and all the praise and it will never change him. He is unchanging and he deserves it. God is worthy of all of the praise. God is worthy of all of the glory. He deserves all of our worship. And so here's the deal. You discover, and I discover, that our life purpose, our life passion, is to give God praise. Here, here's how it sounds. God, I exist to build your kingdom. I want you to be the king of every aspect of my life. But God, I can't do that on my own. I need your strength, your love, your forgiveness, your power to enable me to build your kingdom. And God, as I'm building it, I don't want any credit. You get the glory, God. It's all for you. Only you get the glory in my life. In essence, I exist to show God off personally. Every time I preach, everything we do as a church, our hope is that we show God off. That when people come in, they don't go, oh, wow, he's a really cool guy. I mean, I'm not that cool. Um, but, oh, man, that, what an amazing church. We want people to go, what an amazing God. What, how life-changing is God? What a good God. What a loving God. What a forgiving God. How generous God is. Everything about our church, we try to make it our mission to show God off. And the point of this prayer is to land with this focus on God. I want to build your kingdom through your strength for your glory. What is the passion and the purpose of your life? Who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? Who does it make look good? We want to make God look good, but don't stop there. If you do, you'll miss one of the most significant words of this prayer, which is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Y'all can say it. Amen. Now, hope I imagine that many of you say amen when you pray. And probably you say amen out of tradition. You just say it. You just throw it out there. And you don't even realize what you're saying. Do you know that when you say amen, what you're saying is let it be done, but don't just, it's, it's not just like a, ah, oh, let it be done, like a hope. What you're saying is, God, I'm willing to participate in letting it be done. I'm willing to be part of the Amen. My challenge to you is get active after you say amen. After amen is when your work begins. Your prayer doesn't end at amen. Your work begins at amen. Maybe you're on social media and you'll, you'll, you'll post something like hashtag praying for, you know, and there's a tragedy or there's a crisis or a natural disaster and you put hashtag praying for, you know, that situation or a hurricane that hits somewhere or you put hashtag thoughts and prayers and then some people, you know, they're just annoying keyboard warriors. I'm, I'm kind of being unkind, but uh, what I mean is people jump on, they're like, what good are your thoughts and prayers? Hashtag praying for, who cares? Keep it to yourself because it's not making any difference. 
And, and in some ways, you know, I, I get irritated by that, but I kind of understand what they're saying. But, so let me give you both sides of it. On one side, hey, shut up. At least we're praying, right? Like, come on, man. And here's the deal. When I say I'm praying, I'm not just like offering like thoughts, like, oh, I'm thinking about this disaster. No, no. My thoughts are directed to the God of all creation who heals and raises the dead and gives sight to the blind. God feeds the hungry. He clothes the naked, right? Like if I'm thinking, if my thoughts are directed toward God because of a tragedy or a crisis, I think that matters. But I don't just stop at thinking. I'm praying. I'm I'm intervening. I'm saying, God, would you do the impossible? I'm praying for miracles. I'm praying for healings. I'm praying that the sick are healed. I'm praying that people who are struggling with a heroin addiction or an opioid addiction, that God sets them free from that addiction. I'm praying that kids that are in broken homes or in unstable families find a stable home. I'm praying that our streets begin to heal. I'm praying that our city is transformed. I'm praying that people that are impoverished have their needs met. I'm praying that those that are hungry are fed. Those that are naked are clothed. I'm praying for people around the globe that are in suffering through natural disasters or suffering through religious persecution or are living in war-torn regions that they find healing and hope, right? Like, yeah, I think that, did I finish? Um, I think that the key responsibility and duty of every Christian is to pray passionately, believing that there is a God that hears and responds when we pray. Never apologize for praying. I just have gone through six weeks teaching you how to pray powerfully and how when you pray, all of us feel a little inadequate when we pray. But man, when you pray... If you pray believing that on the other end of that prayer, there is a heavenly father, then you know that your prayers move the hand of God because they've reached the heart of God. And you never have to apologize for praying. And so when you say hashtag praying for, it means something. But when you say amen, get to work. St. Augustine said, we pray like everything depends on God then we work like everything depends on us. So I come to God in prayer and I am desperate and I'm passionate. By faith, God, I am believing for miracles. And then when I say amen, I get to work. After amen is our responsibility. We get to work. When we pray, we pray for. But then after you pray for, then you do what? You pray, then you serve. Pray, then forgive. Pray, then love. Pray, then serve. Pray, then give. Pray, then share, right? Like that's whatever fills us when we pray better spill when we say amen. After amen is a life well lived, a life well served, a life well loved, a life of generosity. That's where we have to get active. A life well prayed is a life well served. And after amen is when our work and our obedience ends. Your prayer doesn't end at amen. Your involvement begins. And so you can pray the Lord's prayer in about 17 seconds. And you're going to spend the rest of your life living it. I am not saying it's all our responsibility. What I'm saying is we have a responsibility to get involved and get active after amen. You don't just get to abdicate responsibility by saying, God, whatever, now it's your problem. 
We say, God, I'm praying and I'm asking for your power, your glory, your kingdom to come into this situation, and I'm willing to bring my best to that situation. We're going to offer our best. And so here's what this looks like. On our own, nothing miraculous is going to happen. We're going to bring our best, and we're going to do what we can do, right? And it's only going to, what's going to get accomplished is whatever you and I can accomplish. And I'm not putting you and I down. I'm just saying that it's going to be pretty ordinary. What I offer when I offer my best is probably not enough. Even when we bring our best as a church or as a community, it's probably not enough. But when we pray, we invite God's best, his miraculous power, his supernatural strength into our best, and then miracles begin to happen. See, when you pray, then you act. You're inviting God's power into whatever activity you're involved in and transformational things begin to occur. Then the sick are healed, the blind see. Those that are in poverty begin to have needs met in a transformational way. And so I wanna invite you to be part of miracles. You pray and then you get active at amen. So your challenge, your takeaway today. First, there are some of you who you need to begin to live for God alone. And that first step is to say, I believe in Jesus by faith. I don't want to live for myself, driven by selfishness. I want to live for God alone. And you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Others of you believe in Jesus, but you're still living for yourself. And it's time to shift your focus. Say, I'm going to live for God alone. And still others of you, you believe in Jesus. You want God to be glorified in your life you're just not doing anything about it. And it's time to, after amen, get active. So I wanna, I wanna put that there. I wanna invite you to respond. But as a really practical step in this response, I didn't preach this whole sermon to get to this point, but I do think it's a really practical step. Today, we're gonna do something a little different and unique. We, we almost never, we only do this one time a year, okay? So don't panic on me. One time a year, we take up the miracle offering, but I wanna frame it this way. The part of the beauty of the miracle offering is it's us bringing our best offering, giving it to God, believing that when we give it to God, God can do impossible things. God can do miraculous things. God can do the supernatural with our natural gift because we're praying over it, because we're offering it to God, because we're saying, God, you're the God of the impossible. So where does it go? As you've already heard in this service, um, we, we do kingdom builders throughout the year. And then we invite you one time a year to bring your best gift possible. And we know that's gonna look different for different people. So there's no judgment, there's no condemnation here, whatever you can offer. And so I'm gonna ask this. I'm gonna invite every single one of you to participate. Now you're a guest with us and you're like, what, what? I, hold up, I didn't sign up for that. Okay, just follow me here. You came ready to give, awesome. We wanna invite you to participate in giving. You're gonna write out your check. You're gonna put your cash in the envelope. You're gonna drop it in the boxes. You came ready to give online or you didn't get come ready to give online, but now you're ready to give online. And so you can go to the app, you can go to the website and you can, you can click the tab, Miracle Offering, and you can give that way. If you're gonna give online, just fill out the envelope and write on it, I'm giving online. Okay, the reason why we want you to do that is because we're gonna ask all of you to come up and drop your, your envelope in the boxes. So right now, get out your envelope. Hold up, some of you are just not, look, you're just looking at me. This isn't gonna be a staring contest. Get out your envelope. All right, and here's what I want you to do. If you're gonna give in the envelope, you put your gift in there, you're gonna fill it out, you're gonna drop it in there. If you're gonna give online, you're gonna write, I'm giving online. Let's, you can't give, or you're angry and you don't wanna give. 
Okay, I get it. If you can't give, um, do you want to give, are you willing to give next year? Maybe write on there, I'll give, I'm going to give next year. Maybe you're going to write, I'm going to give as soon as I can. Or maybe you're, you're just, you're willing to pray and you're willing to ask God to bring his best into this moment. You're just going to write on there, I'm praying. I'm believing for a miracle. And then maybe there's some of you here who you just get a little irritated uh, in a moment like this. And you're like, I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe they would even take the time in a service to, to invite people to give. For those of you that feel that way, can I invite you to have, at least ask yourself this question. Why would so many people be willing to give so generously to God? Because I can tell you the answer is, because for us, we just want to be part of a miracle. Because we believe that God can do more with our generosity than we could do on our own. And so when you give, here's what's happening. You're to give to the miracle offering. That money is going to, all of it, we don't, it's not like we keep a little percentage. All of that money goes towards all of the projects that we have not yet been able to fund through Kingdom Builders. And trust me, there's a lot of them. There are, there's resources in church planting that we have not given yet. You already heard about the building that we help buy in Albania. We, we gave them money and we're now still kind of like, in essence, like paying ourselves back for some of that money. And so we want to we wanna fund that because it was a miracle opportunity. Seriously, like I don't want to get into the, the details, especially because we're online. But I'm telling you, in a nation where there's threats and persecution, we're able to get them property that will become the center of church planting in a region. Through that church, we're already launching a church in Olchin, Montenegro. Miraculous. How? How is that funded? Because of Kingdom Builders. We're able to help start a church in Richmond, Virginia this year. Nate, Pastor Nate Clark launched Oasis Church. How? Because you gave. And, and so there's other projects. Uh, Convoy of Hope um, that's happening in Puerto Rico. Projects like working with other Convoy of Hope responses, uh, A21, dealing with issues of sex trafficking, all of our four city efforts, all the other uh, local outreach efforts happening because of Kingdom Builders. And a lot, some of those, not some, several of those projects are still unfunded. And that's why we're doing a miracle offering. It's an opportunity for us to bring our best offering yet and say, God, we're gonna believe that you're the God of miracles. You're the God of the impossible. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray over you. Is that cool? I'm gonna pray for God's best, for God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory in your life and through your life. Is that cool? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us so much, that you didn't just leave us on a life course of selfishness and self-serving and self-promotion. You rescued us from ourselves and our sin by giving us new life. You forgave us. You removed shame and guilt. You put your spirit in us and you gave us the promise of not just forever life, but God, forever life right now. So God, we wanna live for you alone for your kingdom, through your power, for your glory, forever. And so God, as we give, may our giving bring miracles. May impossible things become possible as your best intersects with our best. God, I pray for strength. I pray for hope. I pray for blessing over individuals. God, I pray for there's individuals right now that they're struggling financially. And as they give, your blessing, your favor, your best would meet them. God, there's some struggling in their marriage. They're struggling in their home. And God, as they give, your, your favor, your blessing would begin to spill into their lives. God, we're asking you would show up and you'd show off through our lives, through this miracle offering in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.